Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. I'm HRN Communications Director Kat Johnson with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're focusing on water. You'll hear some disturbing news from an NYC investigative reporter. Here lies the problem, how much we don't know about water tanks. Katie Kiefer reports on water woes in the heartland. Their water is heavily polluted with nitrates, which are coming from agricultural chemical applications on fields and running off into their water table. And we'll check in with Dave Arnold, who's about to open a new bar that will serve some pretty fancy H2O. It is hardcore. So pour up a tall glass of ice water and be refreshed by this week's episode of Meat in 3, available on heritageradionetwork.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. This is the main course OG. Have a little crowd in the back. It's June 7th. You just heard Rocket 88, which is credited as being the first rock and roll song ever recorded. We are credited as being the first radio show ever recorded on the main uh, on Heritage Radio Network. So uh, it's been- is there a reason why all the music on Heritage Radio is like pre-1940? Because it's legal. Because oh, we can you. use it. But most of our work is actually original songs. Well, it's been a, uh, you know, a sad week. Barbara Kafka died. She was a very famous cookbook writer. Uh, she wrote about microwaves and food processors as being avant-garde technologies. Uh, but the good news is... Brandon Hoy is back, the owner and founder of Roberta's. So he is back on the main course OG for the first time. Producer, that's where the laugh track comes in or claps or air horn. (laughs) In studio, we have Elizabeth Greeley, the point guard. Emily Pearson, the witty New Yorker. (laughs) Mike Edison. Dropping the truth bomb. Hit it, Victoria. Brandon Hoy, the owner of Roberta's, me, Patrick Martins, your guest, uh, uh, your your host, I guess, and our special guest in studio today is Mike Lee, the co-founder of Alpha Food Labs. So we're excited to have him. You'll be hearing from him soon on our marinade. In the meantime, we'll throw it to Point Guard, Libby sure. Greeley. Sure. Thank you, Patrick. We have a great show ahead of us today. We kick things off with our weekly-based segment, our hard-hitting section where we take on the weekly news and get our panelists' opinions about topics they don't know the specifics of. Words to Marinate On is where we listen to tidbits of wisdom a lot of times from our farmers and discuss. In the Maillard reaction, we discuss a fun question of, of the week, and we end with the weekly grill. Today, we have guest Mike Lee. We're very excited to hear from him. So we'll start off with your weekly base. Emily is kicking off the weekly base with a question the New York Times posed to us about recycling. Take it away, Emily. 
All right, so I don't know how uh, serious this one might seem, but I know that we all make efforts to recycle. Um, so if you're tossing things in the recycling bin out of sheer hope, you may just be what's called an aspirational recycler. And believe it or not, you might actually be doing more harm than good. Um, I'm going to name four or five items. I'm going to ask each one of you, one, or I'll name one for each one of you, and you tell me if they can be recycled. Uh, Brandon, since we're at Roberta's, Greasy cardboard pizza boxes. Can they be recycled? Uh, probably not. <laughs> they, they, I mean, you could put pizza back in them if you want to. That would probably That's be your the form best. Of that would be the best way to do it. Usually what I do is I just take them all back out of the garbage can, um, fold them flat again, dap them with uh, sea folds for out for at least you, you have to let them marinate for like, you know, 20 minutes and then refold them back up. And they go back on the shelf. So, so yes, they can be recycled. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, the answer to that Little one. Little bits of knowledge. Right, Mike Edison? Or you could just build a fort. <laughs> also, a really big fire. Yeah. That's nice, too. That works, too. Yeah, because everyone loves fire. fire. Well, Brandon was uh, cool. pretty spot on. While we don't encourage reusing at restaurants. We, uh, you can recycle cardboard pizza boxes if there is minimal grease. But if there is grease on them, best to throw them away because it actually contaminates the other recycled cardboard items mm -hmm. in the bin. Libby, Elizabeth, yogurt cups. Plastic Ooh. yogurt cups. I always try to recycle those. Fingers crossed. All right. Way well, to kill the environment, Libby. Shoot. Anyone else? Thoughts? The old Danon yogurts that were made of cardboard, where when you really scraped the bottom, you actually had some cardboard in your mouth from the 70s, where they have boysenberry as a flavor Ooh. that you could regularly find. That, yes. But these modern plastic ones, I would guess, no. But they have the triangle on the bottom. So, Libby is correct. They have a triangle on the bottom. Traditionally, if the triangle had the number three through seven, uh, it was recyclable. But due to some changes in... Uh, China's decision to uh, accept our plastics, and they have since decided to ban the use of plastics and recycling there. We are basically better off in the trash. So every municipality is different. You can check your local recycling websites, but for the most part, they are not recyclable. That's why I don't eat yogurt. <laughs> this really isn't about recycling. This is about liberal guilt, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's about virtue signaling. Yes. Mike, <laughs> on that note, disposable coffee cups. Uh, disposable coffee cups. Damn, I was hoping I was going to get plastic bottles because then they can tell you how to make a bong out of one. <laughs> um, well, the paper can be recycled, right? Is that the idea? Unless it's tainted by food? So, anyone else? I'll give you the answer. Most are lined with polyethylene, which makes them liquid-proof. It's impossible for you as a consumer to actually know if they are lined with this, and it's hard to see it to the eye. Uh, it's very expensive to reprocess and to break these parts down from the cardboard, so the safe bet is to throw it away. I think it's not the question. Recycling is really expensive. Right. The guess is that if any of them have like these like graphics on them, they probably have some sort of plastic in them. I mean, if you feel this cup doesn't feel like recyclable, recyclable. Yeah. like it's going to break down easy the end of the day they can be recycled but it takes a lot of manpower and hours and money to separate that inner lining from the outside and then patrick used takeout containers yes you can recycle them you can that's my guess if you rinse them out 
Ah, because of this grease issue again. You can have a little bit of like your leftover pad thai or your leftover momo sushi in it. You have to rinse Those them. never make it to the recycling bin in my house. They get stacked. I have a cabinet in my house full too. of them. That's how my kids eat lunch. <laughs> I will say one thing. The very people who probably least support recycling are the people who actually have to do it, like the sanitation departments. And who knows what happens once they get the variously separated bins and all that. I, I think recycling might not work as well as we'd, we'd like to think. I know. I think we all have that question. Does, are the items that I recycled actually getting recycled? Or do they even supposed to be recycled? You know? Yeah. I just had a, a moment of truth outside here at Roberta's. I had a coffee lid, and I was staring at the garbage or the recycling, and I still felt like I didn't See, know what guilt. to do. Liberal guilt. I know. Yeah. I know. Jeez. Well, so believe it or not, you might be doing more harm than good. I think when in doubt, throw it away. Or look up your in municipality's I, in my website. trying to kind of ban using plastic straws, which is the big bugaboo right oh, now. That's the but thing it's hard to find paper straws, what, bendy paper straw? And yeah. I insist on bendy straws. They also like dissolve. I only use bendy they, straws. They, they the go paper in your mouth. straws are terrible. Like the Dan and yogurt. I'm like the kind of person who doesn't want to put like a paper towel in, on my tongue. Right. Like, nor do I really want a piece <laughs> paper of straw. paper in my mouth. They cost 50 like, cents. Unless it's like All I right. hit an acid, I'm not really putting paper in my mouth. <laughs> you you right. gave us a lot to think about there, Emily, and when we go to recycle, we want to make Thank you, Emily, so, for making me not understand anything anymore. I know, I'm more so, confused than when I started. In next news, um, Bayer's purchase of Monsanto, it's all over the news right now, and this is the biggest takeover of its time, and it just went through, worrying antitrust lobbyists. So the German pharmaceutical company, known for household products such as aspirin, struck a $66 billion deal Wednesday to take over Monsanto, the notorious agricultural giant. The number of companies controlling our food has gone down from seven to just four in the last year, and Bayer and Monsanto together control $10 billion more than their next competitor. This is very controversial deal that just went through. Do we think this will affect farmers and ultimately consumers? How do we feel about that? Mike, take it. You look. I, I think they're coming after Heritage Food and Roberta's next. All right. Clearly, listen. Let me tell you something about Bear, okay? And well, and Monsanto. Bear, which was once uh, part of IG Farben, they made Zyklon B to kill Jews in death camps. They used slaves, Nazi slaves, for experiments. This is Bear. They are connected directly to to Nazis and the death camps, and yet they're going to rename the company Bear, not Monsanto, because Monsanto is hated even more than Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much Monsanto is hated for the Roundup seeds and, and this like, insane desire to control all life on the planet. This and kinda, dead end seeds, right, that the right, farmer right. keeps having going back it, to the corporate. Is, it's a horrible thing. This is like one step away from soil and grain. I mean, I would go further. I mean, I think boards of directors at these friendly little nonprofits that we support, like garden groups, shouldn't accept certain individuals to donate. Uh, robber barons, Monsanto execs, you know, great causes reward people who uh, do terrible things in their work life. Uh, are 501c3s complicit? in hurting farmers if they accept Monsanto-related money. I can tell you a lot of fundraising events suffer. The conversations at the tables are beyond boring and short, and a lot of guests are even embarrassed to tell me what they do. Um, also, celebrities should boycott nonprofits that have these Goldman Sachs people there. I mean, I love what the Philadelphia Eagles did. I love what LeBron said he would do, which he's not going to win the championship, and what Steph Curry said. We're not going to go to the White House. You boycott these things. So I think a lot of these people need to be shamed from the back end of their success, not the front end. Because who knows if government regulations will ever really stop these guys. 
Someone out. else has to make baby aspirin then. I think, isn't wow. Bayer the only one that makes it? Uh, did I mention the Nazis? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Jew will abstain from this conversation. Yeah. I have to answer this. No. Sounds seedy. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm having a stroke. (laughs) All right. So we were sent this next one by our friend James Wetlore, who launched Goattober in England, an international project to raise awareness for the consumption of goat. So journalist Drew French wrote these words in a recent article in Medium. Probably the most vegan item you can buy in the supermarket is a pound of grass-fed beef, he says. In truth, a pound of grass-fed beef accounts for less suffering per capita than a pound of corn. How do you all interpret that? Wait this? one second. Can I just... How much suffering does corn cause? I really need to know. Like, what's the corn suffrage? Like, as a percentage overall suffrage and what actually is happening... Uh, like, is there, is there so, corn ears? Like, uh, is it torture? <laughs> I would posit that the most vegan thing in a supermarket is something that's not actually made of meat. So he was arguing, <laughs> he's arguing that when you're taking the earth and you're using it for corn, all those other species that are living there can no longer live there. And But with grass-fed beef, you still have the ecosystem around them. Well, there's that famous guy in uh, in Salina, Kansas, Wes Jackson, who argues that all agriculture is essentially taken from the land, and that this thin layer of topsoil we're going to lose because agriculture takes it. You know, it hurts the land. Whereas the one sustainable form of eating is these prairie grasses that grow naturally. Sunflower seeds. It's hard. Uh, animals love eating them, but humans don't. So yeah, no, I agree. It's like also is local better. Is local less uh, food miles, you know, actually make it less carbon footprint? No, not necessarily, especially if it's a little gassy truck coming down FDR Drive and stuff versus a huge truck coming from the Midwest. Or we could just harvest plant blood and put heme in everything and try to make all of our vegetables taste like beef. That's <laughs> Which also, is what they do. That's also the next frontier. Vegan envy. Yes. Is what it call it. So if I'm actually making popcorn, is that like some form of torture that I need to be aware of? You see, my liberal guilt is like, well, I'm all, I'm all calibrated now. I'm like worried about everything. Now, the vegan argument is dead. I mean, uh, to, to don't eat meat. I mean, that's dead. It's eat the yeah. right kind of meat because almost everybody eats meat. That's the correct argument for them to make, to try to shame people. That, that argument will just never work. So hopefully they adjust their cause to include beef as the most vegan thing in the world. Speaking of that topic, Patrick, you've given me the opportunity for a shameless plug for oh. our very own Frank Reese. Um, Patrick and I are flying to San Francisco tomorrow morning. For, for 16 hours. I think for maybe 16, <laughs> 17 hours uh, for this a screening of the film Eating Animals based on the book by Jonathan Safran Foer. Um, it is officially, I think tomorrow is the first screening or maybe there was one in LA and then it comes to New York next week. Uh, but our poultry farmer, Frank Reese, is is really the, the feature star farmer of this film. It is a vegan film, but the focus uh, from the agricultural perspective and from what Frank has to say is that if you're going to uh, consume meat, it's it's about quality over quantity and about going back to the way that farming used to be and moving away from big ag. So big ag is Tell not the answer. Tell that to Patrick's stomach. <laughs> quality over quantity. Uh, uh, this is all quality in here. It's only right. heritage breed. Yeah, I don't mostly think that pork. Is a quality belly. Mostly pork. <laughs> anyway, right. 
Wish us luck tomorrow on our uh, 7 a.m. flight there in Red Eye Home. And that was a vegan movie. Eating Animals is basically a vegan movie, but by having Frank Starr in it, they're basically, they didn't endorse him in the movie, but he was the star of it. He's the one that talked the most. So they were kind of endorsing the correct thing, even though the thing they endorsed was uh, chickpea burgers. That was what they endorsed. And it's interesting. He's actually, he's, he's on the panel after the screening in San Francisco, and then there'll be one next week here in New York. Um... We'll, we'll post some information some so you guys protests. can. They protest yeah, I don't that know. stuff. Show up with pictures of lobsters. Yeah. and I was at a thing with Peter Singer, and Dave Arnold, was uh, the, who's the host here of Cooking Issues, was like, shut up. Stop protesting. You have your number one champion, Peter Singer, the godfather of your movement. Let him talk. What are you stopping him what from is, what, Sorry, what does the picture of a lobster do? You know, they were like, does this lobster have a name? Is he suffering? I mean, you know, they show all pictures of animals that we eat. And by the way, Peter Singer was... Did he was star like, in Little Mermaid? He <laughs> <laughs> was the Little Mermaid star. Ed Loster actually survived, I heard, and is living well in Los Great. Angeles. Great. Well, yeah, you have to update us on how your trip went. And this is an interesting lead-in to our next um, topic, Ocean Harvest Technology, a global company producing animal feed ingredients centered on the national natural bioactive properties of seaweed, introduced the first North American meat products raised on ocean feed, their proprietary seaweed-based feed ingredients specifically formulated for pork as well as other animals. Ocean feed swine has a positive impact on gut health and immunity without any negative impact on meat quality. So much talk about gut health and animals, seaweed. What do you all think about this? Well, I should just say that Heritage Foods does, some of its farmers do use this seaweed blend. And my father-in-law actually works for that company. I never knew he would get into the weed business. I had a feeling he would, but he (laughs) actually is. But I will say, personally, I never trust fish or fishmongers. Pigs are kind. Fish will try to kill you. Poultry don't swarm or kill like piranhas. Uh, they don't. Pigs don't hide in the sand and try to eat you. So I do support eating meat. Nonetheless, I do think it is amazing that seaweed can improve gut health and something that grows naturally in the sea that's like a throwout substance actually improves gut health, which everybody is talking about. Everyone, no one talked about gut no, health 20 no, years you're, ago. You obviously just started talking about it. Well, you I mean, your gut is up. healthy, I'll yeah, tell you that. Sure. You brought it up. Does it make the meat taste fishy, having the seaweed in it? Well, Mike, you've tasted it. I mean, uh, not really. Uh, listen, first of all, do you see pigs in the ocean, like foraging for food in the ocean? It's unnatural, I'm telling you. It's unnatural. It's it does un- sound it's, weird. It's unnatural. I, I've seen some cartoons where I've seen a pig eating sushi, though, So, and that, that seems like maybe well, this might pertain. Well, you know, listen, you give a pig a fish, you feed him for a day, but you teach a pig to fish. <laughs> you, see, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yes. That's sustainability. <laughs> How about you, Emily? How do you feel about this seaweed food for pork? Um, I think, look, having uh, natural alternatives for feed, and if we were, you know, we were talking about, I guess, how corn can be damaging to our to our land, you know, looking for alternatives, especially the benefit, um, the gut, I think, you know, I'd be interested to know if seaweed is as beneficial for me, you know, if I'm just going to... Is it? Sna- I don't know. I have, to go and do my, I have to go do my homework. Go buy some seaweed snacks on the corner. Is sushi healthy? Yes, as far as I know. It's not unhealthy, but it's actually healthy, raw fish. Mm. That's interesting. 
Well, if it's, if it's fresh fish, I mean, mostly it's got more mercury than a thermometer these days. I'd be, I'd be a little bit careful. But um, generally, I think anything out of the, that comes out of the ocean is okay. I like seaweed salad. It's green. It's healthy. Got a lot of nutrients. No, but I think it's cool. Our farmers have expressed, you know, David Newman and Craig Good, who are both working with it, have, have been really pleased with this as an alternative source. And I think chefs are, are kind of into the idea. I think home cooks are, too. And you don't. You don't taste it. Does, it doesn't suddenly make your pork fishy. I'm into this if this leads to a future of fishing pigs. Fishing <laughs> pigs. Oh, if Mike has anything to say about it, a super race of pigs, like on trollers in the Atlantic. Amazing. And after the show, though, you and I are going to start the corn liberation front. <laughs> <laughs> Poor corn. <laughs> All right, so there's a lot happening here. So we will now go to a short break from our sponsor. Take it away, Vitor. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Thanks, Vitor. So this is the main course OG reporting live from Roberta's in the heart of Bushwick, Brooklyn. (laughs) Roberta's? And now we have words to marinate on. You'll hear a clip from one of our farmers. Take it away, Vitor. 85% we're the same. You know, I mean, the only reason you can't transfer every organ out of a pig into a human is because we can't match blood type. That's it. The heart, the liver, the lungs, the kidneys, it all functions exactly the same. So if you could figure out how to uh, create, you know, dialysis, right, from the pancreas, pancreatic islet cells from pigs could cure type 1 diabetes, but they can't match the blood type. So it's, Hmm. it's, that's what's difficult. All right. So that was from David Newman, our farmer, and that was going back to pigs. Very interesting. Emily, do you want to start us off with that? No, I just think it's really cool. I, 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 someone needs to, I mean, I'm sure somebody is trying to figure out how to make that work. But, God, if it can, I mean, to, to cure type 1 diabetes. Well, it sounds an awful lot like the island of Dr. Moreau. To me, it's a little, a little scary. The pig humans, you know, and Marlon Brando and like a shower curtain. You know, it scares the shit. I was going to say, it kind of sounds like yeah. eating pigs is just like eating humans. Yeah. Yeah, soiling yeah. green. Yeah, no, that's true. My mind didn't go there, but thanks, guys. I guess right no, directly no. took me. I was like, "Wait, so when I'm just, it's just like eating humans." You know, we come from monkeys. You do know that, right? I, I've, I've heard. So I've heard the stories. 
So two every uh, two hundred pigs weigh about two hundred pounds, which is you know what a lot of Americans weigh. That's amazing. Every single organ. I mean, I think this is an HRM first to break this story that every single organ from a pig could be transferred to a human. I mean, that's unbelievable. Who knew? See, always edifying. We're bringing in the information people want to know. Fish. <laughs> we did it. We solved Here the we problem. <laughs> All right. No, that's definitely some good uh, dinner conversation you're going to have tonight, pigs and humans. Well, they have done it with hearts, right? I mean, that bonafide has happened. Yeah. So I don't know why none of the organs don't work. I mean, why does the blood matter for the heart, not for, uh, you know, the pancreas or whatever? But we'll ask David and get another recording. Yeah, we need some doctors in here, too. I'm I'm getting a pork chop transplant. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this brings us to the Mylard reaction. And by the way, we don't know any of these stories in depth exactly what your question is. We mm-hmm. certainly don't know the Mylard reaction, so a lot of this is improv. And you're doing great, all of you. Um, so with grilling season upon us, what is your favorite grilling secret or favorite grilling cut? Favorite grilling secret. I just saw this website, My Yard Reaction. Phil Gilmore, the owner of Momo Sushi Shack, taught me this. It goes against what I had always been taught by my mom and everything. He flips the meat every 15 seconds. So it never has time to warm. And what you get is this Maillard reaction, and which is funny because this is the Maillard segment. And it is very crispy, crunchy. You get that caramelization. But if you just let it go, then it, it gets warm. It gets to room temperature. But, the but does side. that work on every cut of meat? No, no. The grilling cuts. Chops, right. ribeye, steak. I mean, because it makes sense. That's why there would be a spit, right? That's like why spit roasting yes. like, even even exists, right? You're, you're, you're evenly cooking something over instead of just like... And then the like other this. side gets warm and yeah. or, hot, or cold, I, I should say. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, keep everything hot all the time so it doesn't have time to warm up. But, you know, it involves you having to sit at the grill forever. I'm, I'm, my cut is Brontosaurus burger, personally. I like I like to put it on top of my car. And I like the reaction that I get while I'm driving through the neighborhood of, you know, just like a giant, you know, uh, like axe cut on top of it. I like the part where the car tips over. That's always good, too. <laughs> This is good, Flintstones. Good thing I still have one of those cars where I have to use my feet to get it started, right? <laughs> now, you guys don't know this show because you're young. You probably know the Jetsons, which is about the future. The Flintstones was old school. This was, uh, you know, when they were still running with their cars. We know the Flintstones. Wilma. Betty. Wilma's so, there, too. Yeah, yeah Wilma. So which one do you think was smarter, Wilma or Betty? Was Betty? Or were they the same? When she's a Betty, did that come from the Flintstones? She's a Betty, or was that like Betty Crocker, like Betty being because someone Betty, attractive? But Betty Crocker being such a hot number. <laughs> no, they say she's a Betty. I think that was the. I always thought that was the Flintstones. I, I always thought it was Betty Crocker. You're you're a Betty. I was like, yeah, that's a Betty right Monsanto there. Monsanto owns Betty, Betty Crocker. Crocker. You don't like Betty Crocker. Oh, oh God, got you. Nor yeah. will they be on our board. What don't they own? <laughs> I don't know. I did a quick Google yesterday. They, they own, own a Betty lot. And Aunt Jemima too. Oh, Mike, so what's your you grilling like cut? Mike, you're constantly my, sending my gorilla, us miserable my, photos. My, 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 my gorilla secret? Your grilling. Oh, that's different. You talk so much about it. This is <laughs> your big moment. Gorillas, I, got really, yeah, I, got, I got really excited. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, the secret, and this came from uh, Zach, the uh, soon not to be carnivore, you know, in Las Vegas. Um, the trick is when you're trying to grill... Um, a cut of meat, like a big pork chop that's double cut, that's two or three inches thick, or a steak that's three inches thick. You hit both sides 
four or five minutes on each side, and then you let it rest. It's the double shot technique. This is so you can get the middle to a medium rare without incinerating the outside of, of the meat. You do it in two shots. So what does happen after the four or five minutes on each, each side? side? You let it rest. For how long? Like, like 20 tented minutes? for okay. like maybe 10 minutes, you know, even, even a little bit longer. You have to because take it off it's still the... cooking. You take it off the grill and you let it rest. I, I do it tented, and then you put it back on and you can get to medium rare without like completely incinerating the outside. That was, that was, that was the best tip I've gotten. How since, much longer uh, on the grill? Not too long, you know, and you're almost there. You're like halfway there while it's resting. It's still cooking, of course. So maybe, you know, another 15 or 20 minutes, you got to keep an eye on it. But the idea is, otherwise you end up with like, you know, black char. I mean, char is, a, you know, likable to some degree, but, you know. You I know, like you, that. My, you, know, uh, you can't do it with a brontosaurus cut, though. It just, it just really <laughs> it's hard to, to pick difficult. Up. You would need to like rent a crane or something large to kind Noted. of maneuver it. So th- that would not work for my tip either because it wouldn't fit in the oven. For me, I pre-bake ribs mm. so that you don't have oh. to spend as much time at the grill and you don't just burn the barbecue sauce. So you pre-bake them in the oven so that they've like mostly cooked and then you're just finishing them on the grill with the sauce and so that it's not, again, incinerated. And by the way, Mike's idea is, is very brilliant. Uh, our One of my closest friends, Renato Sardo, started a pasta company, and every single time he makes pasta, he only cooks the pasta for two and a half minutes. Then he takes it out. He saves a cup of water. He takes it out and kind of puts it on the pan. And then when, he's a, when the sauce is ready, he just puts the sauce in with the pasta for like a minute. So it's actually only two and a half, three and a half minutes of cooking for pasta, and the sauce cooks it. So he kind of does it in that two-way that... Uh, two-way system that Mike was That's the true about. Italian way for yeah. al dente. Yeah, they don't just... I, I thought for sure you had to do it for exactly eight and a half minutes or nine and a half minutes, but no, it's two and a half minutes and then Mike Lee, our guest, do you have a tip? I do. Uh, so I love this question because I love grilling. Oh, okay. But um, So the, the rough order of what I do is I start a fire and then I do all the veg and I do all that stuff first. Get that out of the way, put that on the side. Then I put the meats on and sort of like your rib tip, I'll do like a slow cook, you know? So it's like good to go inside and then put it on the side. And then when people are ready to eat, you fire up the chimney starter and you put a grate over it mm. and use that to sear it up because that thing's like a freaking cannon. Wow. So you get it super crispy. Mike, can you come over so for, for a cook, help us cook dinner? I'm gay, one man. So this guy's I'm gay, man. I grill, man. I love grilling. So, yeah. So, He's yeah, that's my move. Guy. That's my move. And I'm a straight coal guy. I hate gas, the gas grill. Me too. Grill. I, like, I'll, if I go somewhere and they have a gas grill, I'm like at Home Depot buying like a little charcoal <laughs> grill. Like, yeah. So, yeah. I just like, lo- one, I just love fire. So, I want to get this fire going, you know. Fire, fire, <laughs> yeah, fire, 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 fire. But I like this because it is, it's like a jet engine when it's coming out of there. It's just like pure hot chimney starter is the greatest invention ever blue flame right it gets it blue like super hot uh no it, it stays pretty red it's red. blue typically just comes from gas but you know yeah, i'm not a gas guy either yeah got it so yeah. you must be excited that it's now grilling season are you like i'm ready to go i'm ready to go i'm ready to go it's oh, chimney good. central over here sorry wait is home depot owned by monsanto should i have not said <laughs> that i actually cannot. don't i go to true value usually you mean like ba- a locally owned one right <laughs> See this liberal guilt is. By the way, everything like, everything we, I say, I'm like, did it? Am I am I dead? Everything we've been talking about off the grid. I keep saying it every single episode. It's live off the grid and you're in good shape. Live on the grid and you're riddled with compromises and things that disgust you. Being part of the everyday fabric of your life. Exactly. All right. On that note. All right. Now we have the weekly grill. 
So, Mike Lee, who is the founder of The Future Market, a futuristic food lab that explores what our food system could look like in the next 5 to 25 years through pop-up experiences and conceptual product prototypes. Mike is also co-founder of Alpha Food Labs, an innovative lab for next-gen food startups and corporations building products that are better for people, planet, and profit. So that's right along with everything we've been talking about today. And um, so, Mike, we're so happy to have you. And we want to jump off. What is Alpha Food Lab? Take us into that a little bit more. Yeah, so Alpha Food Labs, uh, it's a company that I co-founded with uh, my business partner, Daniel Gould, who founded Food Tech Connect, and this guy named Victor Friedberg, who's an investor in the food space. Um, you know, we help kind of consumer packaged goods companies uh, do a better job because they haven't in the past. And a lot of people look at us kind of strange early when we were like, yeah, we're going to go into like CPG and try to like innovate the hell out of that and make it better. And they're like, why would you want to do that? Because like, they need help. Um, for sustainability, for visual. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I mean like a rough way. So, so at the end of the day, what we do like very kind of tactically is we help companies big and small um, create better products, like the stuff that's going to take us through the next 10 years, not the stuff that kind of got us to where we are right now. Um, roughly speaking, you know, we're super mission driven. So we're not just trying to do like the next sugary soda or like the next Dorito. We're more trying to like, how do you create like a product that's on the grocery store shelf that actually reinforces a better form of agriculture? Right. So like there's this lightning rod moment where it hit when, when I heard about and tasted like uh, the Dan Barber rotation risotto. I'm like, that's awesome, right? Because he made this sustainable way of growing grains super delicious and like sexy, right? That's kind of cool. But it's like a thousand bucks to go to that that restaurant for two people, right? So for us, it's like, how do you kind of take that idea of what Dan's doing at Blue Hill and, you know, his Michelin stars, and how do you kind of not water it down, but like make it more accessible, like and put it literally in a box of crackers that people can just buy every day. So that's kind of the mission of what we're trying to do. Um, is to try to kind of hijack the system of, of big food and, and kind of make it cleaner and better and more sustainable. So have you healthier. figured out a way to turn um, dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets into a chicken breast? <laughs> that's that's more on the 10-year timeline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, are you also getting into the whole supermarket thing and what it would be like for some – are you trying to predict what a supermarket experience would be like for yeah. someone in 50 years? So that's part of it. So part so early on when we were trying to do this uh, and, and trying to do the work, you know, it's like the whole system of like big food and like supermarket is insanely risk averse, right? And um, I, I grew up in Detroit, so I was really inspired by like going to the auto show every year and seeing concept cars. And I'm like, holy crap, this auto industry makes a fake product every year that's just supposed to be cool and be like, this is where the future is, right? That's it's like haute couture and fashion. Yeah, exactly. But then you go to like like food trade shows and you're just like, oh my God, it's just a sea of kale chips, you know? <laughs> and it's like, so where's like the ambitious thinking? Like who's trying to shake stuff up? So we literally created this thing called the Future Market, which is just this fake grocery store where we create these concept products. And the concept products are like concept cars. And they're basically saying like, what if in 20 years we had like a mass brand that was like wheat thins, but instead of like monoculture wheat, it was all crop rotated wheat, mm-hmm. like stuff like that. So, so would the experience be different? I mean, take us through a supermarket yeah. in a hundred years, if you could, you know. So, I mean, one. aside from the products, which I think the products are going to have to change, right? Cause we just eat differently and people have to make food differently to, to fit that. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things that um, we kind of see changing the grocery store. One, it's, it's, it's going to be, 
much more of a flexible model, right? There's not going to be just one kind of big box or a small box or medium box anymore. There's all this stuff happening with delivery and online ordering and stuff like that. So I think this idea of a grocery store kind of gets like disintegrated a little bit because, you know, you could sit on the couch in your underwear and order Fresh Direct. Like that's a grocery store now, you know. So I think there's going to be like more models of kind of how to do that. But then for the people that are still uh, in like the real estate business and doing brick and mortar stuff, they either got to go, I think, one of two ways. There's going to be a whole category where it's like the Costco's of the world where it's just all about value and you're like you're in you're out it's great and then there's other people that have to kind of make the grocery store kind of like a lively experience again of some sort and whether that's like you're including restaurants and things like that in your grocery store or you're doing classes or you're putting a nutritionist there in the middle of the produce section um, you know that stuff I think is going to have to exist because you have to justify why I should put pants on and get off the couch and go to this thing. I, I need to know, in the future, will yogurt containers be recycled? We'll make sure they do. <laughs> now, Mike has actually predicted that they're going to genetically engineer a chicken that's all wings. Oh, jeez. A self-based... Uh, kind of like a rosebush? Oh, like you all know? buffalo wings? So you can just go and pick their wings off. Is that you know? true? Okay. I think that's what the wings It's possible. I, I might back that. <laughs> so what success? I guarantee with, you, there's a monster chicken somewhere running around Purdue or Smithfield. You know, it's yeah. like 400 wings on this like round body. You, you know, can like, like split it up and make it like a blooming onion yeah. of right. chicken. It's just yeah. like yeah. it's like all connected together, but wings that you peel off of Basically. like a giant breast. It's like monkey bread. You don't have to carve it. You just peel oh, it God. off. So what's your greatest success to date? Like, is there something that we can see or something that's a project in the works? Yeah, I mean, so the feature market, we partnered last year with the Fancy Food Show, which is one of those big trade shows that I was talking about. And, um, you know, we we did like a physical pop-up at the thing where it was like a mock-up of what the future of the market might look like. Um, We're building a new one, literally, that's coming out in a couple weeks, June 30th at Javits Center. It's 3,600 square feet. Um, So it's a big market, and it'll showcase all those concept products that we created and, like, all the stories behind them, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, all those products represent, like, here's an alternative agriculture system, but just represented through, like, a packaged food product. Um, So we'll be there June 30th to July 2nd, um, and, you know, come stop by if you're in the mood to spend Fourth of July weekend at the Javits Center. Come Uh say hi to us. What has the response been to, to when you, you know, have these types of markets? It's been really good. I mean, you know, the first response we get is like we uh, we show up at a lot of trade shows like with these fake products, and we end up getting like uh, like emails and purchase orders from retailers being <laughs> like acting re- asking really tactical questions like what's your wholesale price, what's your case count, yeah, what, who do you deliver, <laughs> who do you distribute through? I'm like, dude, this is not a real product, but thanks. And yeah. uh, no, so now we're like looking at those and being like, you know, yeah, we could start to commercialize some of those. So. so there is interest there. That's, totally. That's yeah, 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 totally. I mean, there's there's definitely interest in the market, though. Like, all, all of the big ones are looking for these oh, next, totally. these next, pro- I mean, as a person who's in CPG yeah. and have a product, yeah. a frozen product that was forward thinking like that, in the beginning was very difficult to get into these big stores. They totally. weren't thinking that way. They and But now you're seeing more and more products that are more forward thinking. People do want to eat food that... that they understand and that isn't like overly processed. And I think that's kind of what you're getting to. And you're, totally. you will see a lot more of it. The, the problem is people need to understand the difference in pricing. All of that processed stuff, you're getting just yeah. leftover junk. Yeah. Put 
pressed together, and that's why it's cheap. So if you want really good quality stuff that's made that's made with ingredients that that don't have Z's next to C's and weird numbers after it, then like the, the there's a price that you do have to pay for that. Your stuff. pizzas look great, by the way, in the freezers. It's packaged differently. It's like this dehydrated cryovac so it's like wrinkly in there it looks really it's good. definitely not dehydrated it's no, not no, a dehydrated no. pizza people but that's next level shit that i should we need to hook up on some nasa <laughs> pizza here because i'm ready to send pizza to the moon i love your stuff i think you guys are raising the bar in that case so good job i was just curious um so are you working with people who come to you with concept ideas or are you guys within your small group just creating these ideas yourselves like are you helping yeah, people launch yeah. new products so there's two categories so one if uh, a, a brand needs help like kind of saying like I, I there's a consumer out there that i don't know how to reach what should we do we'll come up with an idea for them and like incubate it and then create it but um we've been fundraising uh to to we have our own pipeline of ideas as well too because we see all this stuff we see what's happening and like you know we see what's not happening and what could be done better so we have like this internal pipeline of ideas as well too that we're going to start to create and launch well that's great but, and what's wrong what's the biggest thing wrong with supermarkets right now like you go into Gristidi's food town and you're just like ah. I mean will your market still have the good stuff around the aisle you know around the totally. outside of the market I mean it'll still look like a traditional market yeah I mean just I have think, different products in I think it's gonna look like a traditional market for a while because I think people uh, it's just familiar and there's something visceral you understand the setup of a supermarket right it's kind of universal so I don't think you should muck with that too much but I think I think the products itself is probably the most radical change. Stuff on the edges will grow, but the stuff in the middle, like all That's that needs, needs to be to changed change. out. Yeah, it's like a section. lizard shedding its skin. Like there's mm -hmm. a better version of all that stuff. I love going to the supermarket. I, I love it too. It's I spent, yeah. Emily spends a half a day there it's, every week. It's complete weekend. sensory overload. I get stoned. I go to the supermarket. You know, I, just, I love whenever I'm traveling in foreign countries to go to like some. You know, if you're in Tokyo, you should definitely go to the supermarket. Well, foreign you know, supermarkets it's, it's are the best. Fun, but what, all what, markets. What's scary yeah. though is because of the way the world's changing. The supermarket in Tokyo is looking a lot more like Gristini's in New York, and now that you're telling me that Monsanto owns, you know, Aunt Jemima and Betty Crocker, not that I would buy any of that crap in the first place. Uh, it does make me worried that it's just an illusion of choice. There might be 20,000, you know, SKUs in that all supermarket, from one all from Monsanto and their Nazi brethren. Now, didn't you write a great piece on getting stoned and going to Fairway? Uh, dude, on getting stoned and going to Fairway <laughs> is, like, is like day three of the Altamont Music Festival. I mean, I mean, it's, it's like a Woodstock-level event. I mean, there are like 400 kinds of oranges. You, just, you know, you just walk into the produce section, and it's just like overwhelming. We live in this world. I mean, I counted how many different varieties of apples are available, and it's like 17. I mean, it's an amazing place we live in. Beer. You know, beer, my God. I used to be, you know, there used to be Miller... And uh, Budweiser, Coors maybe, and maybe uh, Lohenbrau, which is a fake import at the time because it was being made in Milwaukee. And maybe you'd see Heineken or uh, Bex, Bex, Bex would be your imported beer. But now there are like you know, 10,000 kinds of beer, this beer from Tokyo. It's not weird. You don't have to. I remember coming back from Germany on a trip in the 80s and telling people this thing called Weiss beer. You know, this wheat beer is fantastic. And they're like, what are you talking about, man? You're making that up. Yeah. You know, and, but now you can get it anywhere. You know, um, and you can get lager and you can get ale and the Guinness that you get in New York is the same Guinness that you get in Dublin. So um, it's amazing. It, all the choices. Emily, you spend what, what half an hour in the market every single morning and afternoon. So you spend how much time do you spend on the market? Way too much. What are you looking for? Price or nutrients or what? 
Well, the problem is if I go in without a without a plan, then I'm like Mike, who's not high, but I <laughs> am so having sensory overload about what could I possibly make for dinner? What might I be in the mood for? This is why nobody goes food shopping with me ever because I, they don't want to wait for I me. like it. I totally understand why Andy Warhol did like Brillo boxes, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and soup cans. You just look at it. It's just like, wow. But yes, you know, at su- certain <laughs> markets, I think like the generic over the brand name doesn't really matter, but it depends what you're buying. But at the same time, you know, I think for produce, like I know Patrick you only buy your produce at the Grand Army Plaza uh, farmers market every weekend so people make their choices I also probably don't shop at just one market for everything I was definitely you know Jewish girl Upper West Side it's like you go to Zabar's then you go to well there used to be Food Emporium you go to Broadway Farm you go to Murray's not Murray's I I shop the same way I think that's the I mean I love shopping like that I shop the same way I have a different place for everything that I get I get produce here we've never opened from Fresh Direct we've never ordered ever Anne and I we refuse not even toilet paper that's an important part of sustainability we talk about that all the time Patrick that if you just go to one place you're not being sustainable and you're not supporting you know landscape of different vendors that includes you know i mean going to like a several different you know bottle shops to get a bottle of wine and not you know otherwise you're supporting a monoculture yeah and speaking of zay bars i think yeah. this, this show needs a little catering a little catering yeah, yeah a little uh, something to nosh on, a little something to nosh on <laughs> in the uh, green room i have a question for you mike now is there a secret towards the packaging that you use like okay so you're thinking of the idea with many wheats to make yeah. the wheat thins but like is there a little secret a nugget you have for people who are going to package their products around the country you know their artisan project like way to capture emily who's spending a few hours or mike who's stoned and like rolling around <laughs> well this the stone comment's interesting because i think the grocery stores are going to one day sell the stuff that it's going to get used done, so that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, packaging, I mean, in terms of, like, design, like, what kind of captivates people, I that's really hard to say because I think there's just not – there's so many different people out there. The reason why there's so many beers is because, like, everyone has their own thing. But mm-hmm. I think the thing that I'm always fighting for is, like, just more sustainable materials and that stuff. The USDA is doing this stuff. They're making plastic out of casein from milk. And I keep – talking about it because I want a company to kind of partner with them to kind of scale it up but it's milk is plastic is it recyclable it's edible oh oh, oh Willy Wonka you can even eat the dishes eat the dishes oh, wow. wow you can eat the string cheese and then eat the plastic that the string cheese came in so it still becomes milk. waste but a uh, biodegradable waste yeah interesting alright well thank you so much for being here um, Mike thanks for having me and telling us all about what you're doing in the in the marketplace and this was great today um this is all we have thanks for listening and stay tuned for tech bites at 11 thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.